God tells us in Isaiah that he, he already searched the heavens. He looked for these other gods that people worship, and he said, I don't find, I can't find any of them. So that means he's the one true God, and we know that, don't we? And he is good. His mercy endureth forever. Amen. He deserves our praise and our glory. Amen. It's so great to be able to come into this place and to feel his presence. Amen. As we gather together, amen, and lift up the name of Jesus. It's, it's, uh, it's incredible because God, the almighty God, has total and complete power and total and complete victory. He's, he's the one who's going to bind Satan and cast him into the bottomless pit at forever. He's the one who defeats all the enemies. Amen. He has all the power. And then he says, hey, you can come and join in, my, in the victory dance. And we're just, like, we're just happy to be here. Amen. What an what amazing God that we have that would share uh, the victory with us. Amen. Because without him, we wouldn't have victory, would we? I'm thankful for his grace, his mercy, and for the infilling of the Holy Ghost that gives us the power, amen, to fight off the, the devils in our lives, the sin, and all the craziness that is going on. Amen, help us to have a sound mind and a, a peace that passes all understanding. Amen, it's so good to see everyone here tonight. Amen, thank you for your continued giving. They're offering baskets here and out in the foyer and online. Amen, we want to remember... Keep the, uh, the Scroggin family in your prayers. His mother passed this week. and They had a, the service There's probably going on right now. Keep them in your prayers. Um, all those that are out and that are sick, amen. Um, I know my, my grandmother, my, my dad's mother is on her last breath. Uh, so keep them and us in your prayers. Amen. This is a crazy time, but we know uh, whose hand... This world is in, it's in God's hand. No matter what situation we find ourselves, we know that God is able, amen. Amen, we have uh, this Saturday morning at 7.30 men's prayer downtown, 7.30, amen, to pray for our city. Amen, we want to uh, we want to dismiss the uh, the children, the Sunday, the kids class, ages 2 to 8. You can go back to that door and uh, go on back and... Enjoy the lessons back there. Amen. As we are standing, we can go to the word of the Lord tonight. Amen. Uh, Isaiah, the 43rd chapter, verse 7 is our text for this series we've been uh, doing entitled, For His Name's Sake. The word of the Lord says, even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. And we know that that is for one purpose, for the glory of God. Amen. Our life, our existence is created to give God glory. It's not about us, not about our name, or not about anything that we can do. The only thing that we are called to do and should do is to give him glory. Amen. Turn to a few people, wave at them, air high fives, and you may be seated. Man, last week we talked about uh, part two of this and how the one thing that identifies a child of God from other people in this world, and there are many, uh, the one thing that does that is a separation. 
the calling out, the sanctification uh, of the people of God, separating them for God's purpose. We are told to separate from our nation, whatever nation we are a part of, we are to come out from it. Uh, separate from our world and from its customs, from societal norms and from its lifestyle and its looks, everything that we have grown up to be accustomed to in this life, God says, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, you got to come out from all of that stuff. It's for his glory because if God is going to call someone for his glory and place his name upon that person, the one thing they must do, the one thing they have to do, there's no bargaining, there's no compromising, there's no negotiating, is to separate ourselves from all other people. That can be one of the hardest things to do, and we may, uh, we may go 80% of the way, but if we're not completely separate, then we're not completely set apart. We separate ourselves, He will receive us. If we detach from this world, He will draw us to Him, because separation is the key characteristic of our calling and separation means I have no say in it. What I, what I have to say is left in the world that we left behind. Separation means my opinion doesn't matter. Separation means I'm giving up my way for God's way. And we finished up last week talking about how our body belongs to God as well. Really, we have nothing left, and that's fine. Because what we had, we messed up. And uh, it does no good for us. And so we have to com be completely s submitted and surrendered to God is the best way, really. Uh, our spirit belongs to God, and our job is to glorify God with what we have left and what we are uh, given and allowed. 1 Corinthians 11 and 3 it says, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. Um, now I know uh, some people like to quote this verse, and it's probably their, it might be their favorite verse. If that's their favorite verse of the Bible, they're obviously not using it for the right reasons. Because uh, when they talk about, uh, you know, the head of the woman is the man, uh, they tend to forget about that the, the man has a head as well. And usually... The people that are uh, quoting that verse and using that verse uh, are probably not submitted to their head, but yet they want uh, to be the head over other people, which uh, if the woman sees the man not being submitted, why would she submit to the man? Uh, and so um, uh, obviously we all have to submit. We all have a head, and it's all about submitting to the, the will of God. And this verse lays out the the hierarchy structure of God's authority, His power, and thus His glory. Because the glory and the power of, of, of God is in heaven, it's with Him, and, and if God is going to be generous, and we know He doesn't share His glory with another, um, and if He's going to uh, fill people with His Spirit and place His name upon their, uh, their lives, that means that His glory is going to be there as well. And so... If he's sharing his glory with people, with us, he doesn't have to do that. Uh, we're grateful that he does. If he's going to send his glory into the earth, he's going to need, he's going to have to watch over it. 
uh, because people can take advantage of things really quickly down here on earth. He's going to watch over his glory. He watches over his name, something that is so precious and powerful. Uh, he's not going to let it out of his sight. And that's where Israel got in trouble is because uh, they forgot about the name of God and they took advantage of the glory of God and just got complacent with everything of that God had done for them. And so since they didn't care about the glory of God, they didn't care about his namesake, God says, I'll take my name out of here and I'll take my glory out of here uh, because you, the people that are supposed to be called by my name, are not guarding the glory of God. And so he says, I'll just take it out. And when he did that, it didn't end up well for them. Uh, and so um, we know that uh, God is uh, watching over his glory and his name. Uh, and so uh, when we know that to, he keeps a, a covering presence over his glory, as we know in the, in the tabernacle uh, that there was put up a veil uh, that only one man, the high priest, could go into the Holy of Holies and, and see the Ark of, of the Covenant and the, the glory of God resting upon the mercy seat. But it was covered by the veil. It was, it was, there was a protective covering because God's glory is so pure and so uh, powerful that there has to be a protection, a covering. The angels' wings were covering over uh, that mercy seat, covering the, the glory of God. And so uh, there's a covering presence when there is something that is special there that deserves protection. Uh, and so we are filled with the Spirit of God, and therefore His Spirit is in us, and His glory uh, resides in us. And so we have to be watchers and keepers of the glory of God, because if we do not care about the glory, God will take His glory out of our life. If we don't protect his name for his name's sake, God will say, I'll remove my name if you don't protect it and cover it with prayer and with consecration, with separation, with holiness. All of these things that we do, that we are called to do, is to protect the glory of God and watch over it and keep it. And so God is sending down his glory into earth. And so the chosen resting place in the Old Testament was a tabernacle, the mercy seat, the covering of angels' wings, watching over the glory of God, and the veil that we'd said, uh, providing protection and covering for it. But because Israel did not guard it, and Israel left it uncovered in their actions, God removed his glory. But it came back to earth in a different form and fashion. It did not come back when, when they rebuilt the temple after it was destroyed in 586. They rebuilt the temple when they were allowed back by King Cyrus, um, and they started rebuilding with Nehemiah. Uh, they finally rebuilt it all, but God's glory did not manifest in there the way it was because it was coming back in another form. And the way it came back to earth was it was veiled in flesh. It was robed in flesh, protected by a sinless flesh. It came back as Jesus Christ, the resting place of God's glory on the earth at that time. Who is the head of Christ? The Bible says God is the head of Christ. Why? Because God is watching over his glory. If his glory is inside a human body, God is going to be watching over that. And since the glory of God was not being transferred elsewhere. It was all there in Christ. The angels watching over Christ and ministering to Jesus because the glory of God was there. And so 
He had to guard it. He had to protect it, and he veiled it with a sinless lifestyle. And how often does Scripture tell us that angels came and ministered to Jesus where the glory of God is? There's going to be a covering of angels. There's going to be uh, a heavenly host watching over uh, and protecting it and covering the glory of God. Again, the tabernacle plan, which was patterned after the things in heaven. And so when Jesus died, the glory of God left the earth. The veil uh, was rent in twain, and uh, the glory of God left the earth as he ascended, but it came back in a different form, if you will. The glory of God came back into the church, into the body of Christ, where his spirit now uh, rests inside of us. And so the glory that has passed into the church through his spirit, that would mean that the church has a covering as well. The church has a head, and the Bible says that uh, Christ is the head of the church. And so there's always a head. There's always a watching over of the glory of God because it is so pure. It is so powerful that it deserves a covering and a watching over. Colossians 1 and 18, and he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. So Jesus is the head of the church. He is over us. He is watching over the glory that was once inside of him that is now passed on to the other believers, you and me, and it's been handed down. And so if we and you and I, if we are the resting place of God's glory, and if God's glory is in here inside of us because we have become temples of the Holy Ghost, that means that you and I need to be on guard like never before. That means you and I, we need to cover it in prayer, cover the glory of God with a consecration and a lifestyle that God is pleased with. We need to protect the glory of God and not to leave it uncovered and unguarded. Otherwise, that's what Israel did. They left it unguarded and unprotected. And so God uh, removed the power and the glory. It will leave if it is not being cared for, if it is not being protected and covered because his glory always needs a covering. And how does the church do that? By preaching and teaching truth the apostolic doctrine by living a, a sinless lifestyle, a holy lifestyle just like Jesus did. We are to be just like Jesus and follow after him as he, as he prepared and showed us the way. And the fight is not going to be with the head. The, head, the fight is not going, the fight with the church is not going to be with the head, Jesus, because Jesus has already uh, defeated the devil. And so the fight is going to be with the church now because that's where the glory is now. Wherever the glory is, that's where the fight's going to be. Jesus had the glory inside of him, and the devil came to him and tempted him three times and tried to fight him and defeat him. Why? Because the glory of God was resting there. God, Satan noticed that angels were ascending and descending upon this man, Jesus, and he knew if the angels are doing that, then surely the glory of God is not very far from that man. And so if I can get that man to sin and fall and cast himself down, then the glory can be exposed and uncovered and God will uh, pull out his glory. And so Jesus already won the battle for him. Uh, and so now it's our turn. He gives us his power, his spirit, uh, and he gives us his glory. 
And so if the glory now resides inside of us, that means uh, we have to be on guard like never before. The fight is going to be with the church, the resting place of the glory of God. And so if the church can compromise on its covering, if the church will compromise on its doctrine, if, if it will compromise on its standards, then the glory of God will depart from it. Why? Because it happened to Israel. They, they compromised and they forgot about the glory, didn't protect it. And so the glory of God will depart from a church that does not protect it, that does not uh, care for it and, and cover it and protect it and, and consecrate it. Because the church will have left it uncovered and unguarded and unprotected. And so the fight is not going to be with God over his glory. The fight will be with the individuals that have the glory of God or the place where his glory is being kept. And so if we've been filled with his spirit, we have uh, the glory of God. We know that God is watching over us. Angels are watching over us. A lot of a lot of heavenly host and spiritual activity is watching over the church. Why? Because the glory of God is there. And so the fight will be with the individual. If he, Satan, can get us to compromise in the backslide, uh, then he wins. The spirit will leave us. The glory of God will depart from us and we'll be backslid. And uh, that will be another victory for Satan. Uh, and so we all have to do our part. We do our part as a whole, as a church body, uh, but the body is made up of many members, and we all have to do our part. And so um, the fight's going to be where the glory is. Balaam could not curse Israel because they were already blessed by God. And so we are already a blessed people because we are called by the name of God and we have his spirit in our life. And so we are already blessed. And so it doesn't matter if the devil tries to curse us, it's not going to work. We're already a blessed people. It doesn't matter if, if devils or, or witches show up in your life. and Their curses are not going to work against the people of God. Why? Because we are already blessed. We are already filled with the power and the spirit of God. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so the curses of the devil are not going to work against the people of God. Just like Balaam tried to curse him. He says, I cannot curse the people. Already blessed. So what did Balaam do? He said was, if we can get them to compromise on their covering, compromise on their lifestyle, if we can get them to forget about the glory and the name of God in their life, then God will judge them. God will remove his glory and God will take care of them. God will do to them what we want to do to them. And so that comes down to an individual basis. And so the glory of God is resting in the church. That means the battle to stand for and defend the glory of God comes down to you and I. The battleground of standards and separation comes down to you and I. 2 Corinthians 4 says, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And so we are an earthen vessel, just a clay vessel that God has placed his glory and his power inside of us. And we understand that it's not about us. That our vessel is for his name's sake. It's all for him. And so what treasure do we have inside of us? We have the spirit of God. We have the glory of God inside of us. And therefore, we become a light to the world. It's not our light. It's not our righteousness, but it's his. And we are to be a mirror. We are to be a reflection of God's light and his glory into this world. Uh, Dirty mirrors don't reflect very well. Uh, And so we have to uh, be as clean as possible, separated from this world and this life in order to be the best reflection of God's glory in this world and through our life. 1 Corinthians 6.19, what, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. So as we mentioned last week, that we really don't have a say anymore uh, in our bodies and in our spirit because they are God's now. And so we are to glorify God in our body. The same glory that would, uh, same glory of God that would strike somebody dead if they took one step out of place in the tabernacle, if they if they skipped a step, if, if they uh, brought in strange fire, if they did not follow the procedures that God had laid out, the glory of God and the judgment of God would strike that person down, and yet we, st- we had that same glory and power inside of us. I think we tend to forget about the, 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 the righteous judge part of God. We like to focus on his blessings and all those things, but the same spirit that blesses us is the same spirit that can drop us dead. And so when people say uh, that uh, holiness is legalistic, if you go to that church and this is what you shouldn't wear, you shouldn't dress like the world, you shouldn't look like the world, why? Because those people out there are not carrying around the precious, almighty glory of God. They can live however they want, but you and I, our bodies have been purchased. Our lives have been redeemed. They can wear whatever they want and go wherever they want to go, but the people of God cannot. Not because uh, the pastor uh, likes control and authority and, and power and all that stuff. It's because We are carrying around the glory of God inside of us. And so we are to glorify God in our bodies. But if you want the glory of God in you and to remain in you, we are commanded to glorify God in our body because our body becomes his temple. And now all that we do is for his name's sake, for his glory. All of it is to protect his glory and to cover it with holiness. If what you wear doesn't bring God glory, then you probably are wearing it to bring glory to yourself and bring attention to yourself. That's what people do in the world, what we used to do, uh, outfits and all these things to, uh, to look good in the mirror. It's all about our glory and, and showing ourselves off. But in the, in the kingdom of God, 
uh, we're not to be showing ourselves off. The only thing we're to be showing off is God's glory, and we're doing everything for the, for the namesake of God. And uh, if we're doing it for our own self, it'll show. Because if we truly said that this is for the glory of God, then maybe, maybe people would think twice about doing it or wearing it or going there. If you're unsure as to uh, whether you should wear it or, or how to act or, or, or what to do, you, should all, you can always look at the pastor's wife uh, because we, we set the standard for the church that we, we, we live by as standards and we, uh, we, that we want you to live by. And so if you're ever in question uh, whether or not you should do something or not do something, just ask or my wife or look at my wife or, or myself uh, because we are, we are to be examples. And so I can't tell you, I can't tell you how many outfits my wife has returned because they were too tight or draws too much attention and, and for the wrong reasons. And she can attest to that. And uh, I, I'm thankful that she's submitted to, to that, to the standards, and, and asked my opinion before she removes the tags because... Whatever she wears, then everyone else is going to wear. Whatever I wear, everyone else will wear. And it's, it'll, it won't be as, as, as strict what we do in, in moderation, what we do uh, in ex, uh, what, what my wife and I do in moderation, uh, people tend to do in excess and never, uh, never outlive or are or, or more holy uh, in standard than, than the pastor's wife. Usually we try to set the standard. And so... Um, if you're ever wondering, just look at the leadership and you can draw from there. When uh, the attention that we are commanded to draw is to God and to reflect his glory. And when my opinions and my wants get in the way, it will end up reflecting in my body and uh, people will be able to see. We see in Exodus 20, 24, an altar of earth shalt thou make unto me and thou shalt sacrifice thereon. Thy burnt offerings and thy peace offerings and thy sheep and thine oxen and all the places where I record my name, I will come unto thee and I will bless thee. We like that. Uh, we like the sound of that. We make an offer, make an altar, offer a sacrifice, and God will bless us. Verse 25, if thou wilt make me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it with hewn stone, for if thou lift up a tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. So basically what God says is if you're going to make me a, an altar out of stone, um, you just grab a stone and you start making altars, building altars. And he says if you don't use a hewn stone because if you put a tool upon it, you will pollute it. And so when it comes to building an altar for God, we, we look at the stone and we say, and Lord, that, uh, that looks a little rough. If I want to build you an altar, God, I want it to be the best-looking altar, and I want it to be perfect in all its ways. And so uh, if it was left up to us and our desires, uh, this is we would say, okay, God, now look at, look at my altar here. I'm building for you. Now look. Edges are nice and smooth. It looks presentable. It's really nice. I mean... Looks a lot better than this stone over here, God. And 
uh, surely you're going to accept my sacrifice because look at all the hard work and the, the dedication and things that I've done. I put into these rocks because you want uh, a sacrifice and I'm going to give you the best sacrifice upon the best altar. The problem is with, with our desires when our opinions get in, involved. When we say, God, I'll do this for you. This is for you, Lord. And so what happens is, is we take what God says and we say, God, I'll, I'll, let me make it better. Because I'm giving it to you, Lord. This is for you. And so ultimately what we are saying is, God made this rock the way he wanted the rock to be. And he says, if you're going to alter, uh, offer a sacrifice upon it, just leave the natural rock the way it is because that's how I made it. That's what I wanted. It looks, looks great to me. It doesn't look great to us. It looks great to God. And so uh, when, we, when we start cutting it and smoothing it and, and perfecting it in our eyes, what we are saying to God is, God, you messed up here. God, you, you, left, you left the job too soon. It's unfinished. Um, let, me, let me finish it for you. And I don't know how God feels about that. Well, I do. God says he's a jealous God. And so when, when, we, when we get our opinions in the way and say, God, let me handle this for you and let me clean this up for you and perfect it for you, God's going to say, you're telling me that I did a bad job then. Because when he made the earth, he said everything was good. And I guess when God says it's good, it's got to be good. We come along and say, well, God's definition for good is not my definition of good. And so here's my definition of good right here, Lord. And so here's my good altar when God says, I just want it the way I made it. Because that way, when tools are applied to it, it pollutes it. It changes its form. It's, it's different now. And I don't recognize that. I recognize the natural rock that I made. I don't recognize that. That is some, uh, some kind of alien, some kind of different form. And so uh, that is what we want to do with our flesh. Our flesh wants us to do that. Uh, but we now have, that obviously is, is in the Old Testament we don't really build altars like that anymore, but now we, we are in the New Testament, and um, we have, we have the, the treasure in earthen vessels. Can you put up the next verse for me? I forgot to put it in here, but um, next verse for me, please. Oh, sorry. Go back. Uh thought I'd put another one in there. Never mind. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And so uh, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Uh, Romans 12 and 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. And so now instead of the Old Testament where we put... Uh, animals upon the altar, now in the New Testament, we are the ones that are supposed to climb upon the altar because we have become the living sacrifice. And we have to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. And so it has to be accepted by God. And, uh, and a lot of times when our opinions get in the way, 
God's not going to accept it because it's our opinions and we, we do things the way we think we should do them. And so uh, we have uh, earthen vessels here. I've got some earthen vessels here. They may not look like earthen vessels, but at least one of them didn't. <clears throat> and so we got earthen vessels here. Hopefully these, uh, there we go. These are all the same pot. <clears throat> earthen vessels, terracotta is made of the same clay, same dough. And so this is basically a, a reflection of us now. We have this treasure in an earthen vessel. And we are to be a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. And so we are to, we are to be a living sacrifice upon an altar uh, that we are to uh, build ourselves. Uh, and so what happens is uh, our flesh wants to say, well, God, if I'm a vessel of you, if I'm walking around being a representative of you for your name's sake, then I'm going to make my vessel look good, just like. Just like the argument down here in the Old Testament with actually building an altar, the same argument is, affects us in the New Testament because now we have earthen vessels and we, we can say, well, uh, let, me, let me make my vessel good for you, Lord. I want to I wanna make it good for you. Uh, but I, I would assume that the same principle applies in the New Testament uh, as it did in the Old Testament that really God wants uh, an earthen vessel the way that he made it. And so when we start uh, doctoring things up and we start uh, changing things around in our vessels, and uh, 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 mind you, the vessel is not even ours. It's not even our body now. And so, but we want to make changes or do things to us. Uh, I would think the same thing would, would apply that if we put a tool upon it, then we pollute the, the, the altar, we pollute the vessel. And so obviously this one has gold paint and red paint. Uh, this one doesn't look like much. It's just clear paint. But this one is uh, untouched, unvarnished. No tool has been applied to it. Uh, and so what happens is, is we can, our opinions can get in the way and say, well, God, at least I'm not as bad as them. Or at least I'm not doing that. And uh, really, we, we focus on everyone else's uh uh, tools and, and faults and failures, but really if, if we're the ones in the middle, we're still a little bit far from where God wants us to be. And so uh, a, a clear coat on it obviously makes a difference than what the, the natural form is. And so uh, we, if we apply any tool to the vessel of God, the Bible says the altar will be polluted. And so if we are to become that living sacrifice. I don't want to have a, a polluted vessel because that will ultimately lead to God pulling out his, his name, his glory, because uh, God says this is the way he wants things. But people think that apostolics are shackled by all these rules of holiness. And uh, you know what their problem is, it's not with the dress. It's not with the standards. It's not with the holiness in itself because when, when these people get a job, and their job tells them, this is what you can't wear, this is what you can't do, this is where you cannot go, here's your uniform, you need to wear this. They have no problem with that. They're not protesting their jobs, I'm not working here because you have a dress code. The problem, they're okay with the world telling them 
what they should wear, uh, that this is okay, and so these are cool, so you can wear these, and so this is the dress code that is trending, and so if you want to fit in, you need to wear this outfit or, or wear this dress. They're fine with the world telling them uh, what they can and cannot wear, or uh, unless you uh, buy our, our makeup and paint your face, you're ugly. They're fine with the world telling them they're ugly until they buy their makeup, but if the church says glorify God in your body because you're, 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 you're holy because God is holy, now all of a sudden there's a problem. Now all of a sudden, how dare the church tell me what I cannot, cannot wear or what I can and cannot do. How, how, what, what, what kind of audacity do they have to say that? I, I, I'm okay with my boss telling me that. The spiritual leader, I don't want them saying anything how I should live my life. What their issue is, is they don't have an understanding of what's on the inside. They don't understand that the glory of God, they, they don't understand that inside this earthen vessel uh, is the the almighty God, the power and majesty of his holiness is on the inside. They don't see the value of having God's spirit live in them. And so, therefore, that's why they say, uh, that church told me I can't do this and that. The issue is they don't understand what they really have. And so instead of wanting to learn about the glory of God, they treat his, his presence like it's an inconvenience. I, I can't believe that they uh, do that or they don't do that. And so uh, I'm just going to go to a, another place that allows me to, to, to dress and do what I want with my opinions and, and uh, where me and God can get together on, 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 a, on a, a holiness standard panel and I can share my thoughts on how I should present my vessel to God um, and we'll come to some kind of agreement where we'll be okay. Me and God will be okay. And so here we are, the understanding, and if, you, if we truly understand what we have inside of us, it should scare us to death. But we start listening to ourselves and our opinions and our justifications and our excuses why we should do this and that. And we end up silencing the, the voice of the spirit that's crying out inside of us and say, that's not what I want. And so we have this great opportunity to be the keepers of God's glory, the vessels that hold in the almighty God. What a privilege that is. What an opportunity that is to, to say the Spirit of God lives inside of me. And what an opportunity, what an what a awesome privilege to say, I am become the temple of the Holy Ghost now. And, and, and so understanding what's inside of us should have an impact on the way we live our life and what we do and don't do for God. There are people that will do stuff to their body that they will never dare do to this physical structure. They wouldn't dare do that. They wouldn't dare walk in here and do those things uh, to this building because this building's sacred. But yet they'll go and do it to their bodies. Which God doesn't live here. People think he lives here, but he's, the Bible says he lives inside of us. And so if we won't do that to the physical building, why do we do that with our, uh, with our natural uh, our bodies? There's no difference. And so the glory of God has been placed inside the church, in the hands of the church to, to keep it, to protect it. Uh, but it goes even further than that, that the glory of God passes on to us to the individual level. 
And when someone is the head, that means that the glory of God is, is passing through them and on to somebody else. And so uh, 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 Christ is the head of man. And so therefore, if Christ is watching over man, that means the glory is coming into the man. And God's going to be watching over the man, how he treats the, the glory of God and how he acts and uh, what, what kind of standards he applies in his life. And so uh, God is the head of Christ which is the resting place of the glory of God until he was crucified and ascended into heaven. Then Christ became the head of the church, meaning the resting place of the glory is moved into the church. Um, 1 Corinthians 11:3. but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. And so the head of man is Christ. That means that God's glory passes through Christ and into the man. And so man needs to be a protector and a keeper of God's glory. And how he does that is through his lifestyle. The things he does and don't, doesn't do. The things he says and doesn't say. Uh, we are to be a keeper of God's glory in our actions. We can see this in 1 Timothy. It, it talks about uh, standards for men and women here. Uh, we'll talk about them both. 1 Timothy 2 and 8. I will therefore that men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not broided with hair, uh, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh uh, women professing godliness unto good works. And so uh, talking about the men, he addresses the men first. To lift up holy hands to God means you haven't committed sin, and you're, you have observed your sacred duty as a believer, as a protector, as a keeper of the glory of God. That is the call and the responsibility of the men, to have holy hands. And to do that, we are guarding the glory of God in our lives. Because holiness principles deal more with uh, our creation, who we are as an individual, a man or, or a woman, uh, the way men and women were created, it, that's how uh, holiness standards apply to us than, uh, more than what our culture says about us. God's word emphasizes them uh, differently for men and women. The reason there is, uh, the reason that there seem to be in more external standards for women is that God created, obviously, men and women differently. For example... Uh, men are stimulated by sight. That's why Jesus said, Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her committed adultery with her already in his heart. He's not talking to the women there. He's talking to the men. And so that applies to a holiness standard uh, that uh, men are to uphold. A man is always attracted to the woman physically before he is connected to her emotionally. Women, on the other hand, uh, are more uh, connected by touch and, and emotional connection. Um, and so that is why Paul gives a different command concerning women, 1 Corinthians 7.1. He says that it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Uh, and so while a woman is commanded to appear a certain way uh, so that the man is not affected by the way she presents herself because man can easily be affected by that. The man is commanded to act in a certain way so that the woman will not be affected and the man becomes a stumbling block for the, uh, for the woman. 
And so women need to uphold standards of holiness so they don't become a stumbling block for men. And men need to uphold standards of holiness so they don't become a stumbling block for women. Holiness for men and women is, is different. The women's primary uh, areas, uh, 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 problem areas with holiness, again, these are just generalities. Uh, the, the things that a woman would deal with, would struggle with, would be adornment, uh, would be apparel, and would be with attitude. The man's primary problems with holiness are appetite, not, not food appetite, but uh, a lust, a desire. Uh, we, once we put our mind to something, we can, just, we can just forget about everybody else. We can really have an appetite. There are men out there that have an appetite for success, and they leave their family behind in the dust because it's all about the success. And uh, men have to be careful about their appetite. We can, uh, men can easily uh, give four or six hours to a video game or entertainment, but give little to, to the kingdom of God. Man's holiness standards are dealing with his appetite, what we give our time and our energy to. Because oftentimes, our appetite is not for God. If we're not living a, a, a righteous life, we're not going to have a righteous appetite. Uh, and so, uh, another thing men deal with that uh, apply holiness standards is anger. Control our anger and deal with that, that we not act out rashly and, and uh, hurtful. And the last thing, uh, obviously not... Not, it doesn't end with these three, but uh, the big three, appetite, anger, and apathy. Our apathy, men's apathy, is a holiness standard because we can just become complacent and just don't care. Uh, I don't care. Well, if, you're not, if you don't care, you're probably not caring about guarding the glory of God. We can easily get lost on the couch and just say, yeah, forget about it, or, or toss it aside, oh, that's not important, or or men, men struggle with apathy and laziness and uh, lukewarmness, complacency. That's a holiness issue for men. Because if we're doing that with our natural life, surely we're doing that spiritually. And if we're doing that spiritually, that means we're, not, we're leaving the glory of God unguarded and unprotected. Because we're not lifting up holy hands uh, without wrath and without doubting. The only way you can lift up holy hands is if you're upholding your holiness standard and saying, God, I'm, I'm on guard. I'm watching everywhere I need to go. It's not easy to say uh, that women never have problems with inner holiness or that men never have problems with outer holiness. For both men and women, holiness begins on the inside and it must be demonstrated on the outside. Just as women are to take the lead in matters of, of external holiness, men are to take the lead uh, in uh, matters of internal holiness. Yet how many times have we seen it reversed, where a wife is the only one really serving God? Or she serves as the prayer warrior of the home, and the, men, the man is just doesn't care, he's apathetic. Or the woman or the wife is the one who participates in the worship, while the man just, eh, it's not for me. Or she is the one who is the most exuberant witness for God, while the man just eh, doesn't care. These are holiness issues that men have to deal with. And 
Uh, obviously, there's just the way that we dress, we easily blend in with the rest of the men of the world, and women have to deal with the, the external holiness, but men have, a, have to deal with the internal holiness of appetite, our desire, our lust, our anger, and our apathy, what we care about. And so it's time for the men to assume their rightful place of leadership and prayer and worship and witnessing and living for God because that is who we are called to be. We are called to be the men of God, the head of the home. Uh, and so we have to uphold our standards of holiness too. We cannot just uh, point fingers and expect our wife to uphold all the things because it's physical things that we can see. The man has the, the internal struggle that, that up, has to uphold these things. And so we are, we are told to, uh, I will therefore men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. The men are commanded to pray everywhere. Why are the women the one praying everywhere? Just as it is God's will for Christian women to stand out in matters of modesty, it is God's will for Christian men to stand out in their ways of worship and the way they act. They are to lead by example, uh, even though it, many things will apply in the external part of us. If we're doing it on the inside, we're going to be leading our family in prayer, leading them in worship, uh, leading them in devotion and committed and consecration to God because we have to uphold our part of the standard just like the women have to uphold their part because we're all earthen vessels and we have the glory of God inside of us. Holiness is quite often awkward in our culture, but God still desires us to be holy and to be separate. Our men should be just as distinct in their actions and representative as godly men and godly examples as our women are and distinct in their appearance. You can easily identify an apostolic woman with her dress, but we should be able to identify an apostolic man by his actions and what he does. Because the men, are, the men are commanded to lift up, uh, to pray everywhere. We're commanded to pray everywhere. And if we're praying everywhere, people are going to know it. Men, if you've not been holy before God, as you should have been, it's time. If you've lost the struggle with appetite, anger, and apathy, it's time to stand up and stand out and be the godly example and the leader in our homes that God has called us to be because we have to guard the glory inside of us. We can't, we're just, just assuming and thinking that the, the women have to guard all the glory with the way that they look and present themselves. No, the glory of God can leave us and be with our women, the women because they're the ones that are on active duty if the men are not actively watching. 1 Corinthians 11.3, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of every woman is the man. Uh, it says that the man becomes a head to the woman. What does that mean? That means uh, that the glory of God uh, is passing through the man and passes and is going into the woman as well because Christ is watching over the man. He's the head of the man because we have the glory. And if the, the, the man is the head of the woman, then that means the glory is passing on down to her as well. And so we all have the glory of God. We all have a head watching over us and making sure we're upholding our standards and are doing our duties of protecting the glory of God. And so the glory of God rests in the woman as well, and even more so, if you will. The woman becomes the front and center because uh, she becomes a battleground because she stands out the most in society. She faces the most pressure. 
Because that is where God has chosen to be the keeper of the glory of God. And if the woman is a keeper of the glory of God, then she needs to be covered. And have a covering because God's glory always has a covering and protection. And so uh, men are the head of the woman. Uh, and so we have to be a covering for our wives and the women uh, in our lives because the glory is passed on to them as well. But if we're apathetic, if we don't care, uh, and if we're not watchmen on the wall watching over what comes into our homes, what we allow uh, in and out of our homes, if the men are not doing their job, then everyone else is vulnerable. Musicians, if you would come. 1 Corinthians eleven fifteen. But if a woman have long hair... It is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. We see that phrase, a covering. A covering for what? A covering for the glory of God. A woman's hair is symbolic of the veil of the covering to guard and to keep the glory of God inside of her. Uh, now you might say, well, I don't have long hair. Uh, the term long hair means uh, to let the hair grow. It, that means uncut. Uh, and so it doesn't matter how long or how short it is, if it is uncut, that's as long as it can be. The longest your hair can be is if you, if you don't cut it. And so that is what it means to have uh, a woman to have long hair. It is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. That's why you go on and keep on reading in 1 Corinthians 11. It talks about uh, women have uh, power on their head over, because of the angels. Uh, the angels are watching over the glory of God more than you and I are. And if the, the covering, the long hair is given to the woman for a covering, it's for the covering of the glory of God. And so the angels are watching over the women in our lives because uh, they want to see if they're going to uphold the standards of an apostolic woman. And so um, man will brag about being the head of the home. But you know where the toughest place to be is the one that is guarding the glory. Men brag about being the head of the home, but we, spe we are specifically called out by God to pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. We are to be praying to protect the glory of God. A lot of good the head of the home is if he isn't praying. And that means your home is more vulnerable to attack if the head of your home is not praying. Yeah, physically, we'll answer the door with a shotgun. But if we haven't been praying, the devil will headbutt us in the face and kick us to the ground and step right over us while we're holding our shotgun, thinking that's going to do something to the devil. If only we would stand up in the spirit like we do in the flesh. We would see a whole lot more strongholds come down. And when the men get involved and, and become, remove that apathetic stronghold and say, I'm going to pray. I, if I'm the head of the home, i got to pray. i got to lead my home and my family in devotion and consecration and prayer. Because if I'm not doing it, that means I'm leaving the door wide open. Or I'm, or I'm making my wife and my family do the one garden. Well, I am on the couch. And so the attacks come where the glory of God is. The glory of God is inside of each of us. And the, uh, the woman obviously is going to be number one attack on, the, on the, uh, the devil's list because so much pressure is applied to them, external pressure to, to look the, the part of an apostolic woman which does not look like any woman in the world. And so who did the devil go to in the garden? He went to the woman. 
while apathetic Adam just stood there, did nothing. Had he stood up, we might be in a different world today. His influence, the devil's influence on the ungodly woman of our culture is apparent. Do whatever you want with your body. Cut your hair. Do whatever you want with your body. It's your vessel. It's your body. Beautify your altar. Go ahead. Alter your vessel even just a little. It's not a big deal. I know God said if you alter the stones and you pollute the altar, he didn't really mean that, did he? You can still praise him with, a, with a, uh, an altered altar. You can still clap your hands and worship and all these things with an altered altar. Why is it that once women or a woman stops coming to church, the first thing she does is cut her hair? Which was given to her to cover the glory of God. So cutting the hair is saying that I am uncovering myself. I am leaving my place as the keeper of God's glory. And I'm going to do whatever I want. When I want, I'll do what I want to do. And then they say, feel so great. Such a burden has been lifted. I can't believe I used to do that or live like that. I, I feel more free now than I ever have before. I feel so great. I don't have to bear that weight anymore. Remember the Hebrew word that, that, that means weight is glory. Glory means weight. And so, yeah, you're not feeling a weight anymore because you're not feeling the glory of God in your life anymore. There's going to be a lifting in their life, and, yeah, they'll feel like they're more free and they can do whatever they want. Why? It's because the glory of God has lifted out of their life because they have declared with their words and their actions that I'm not going to be a keeper of God's glory. I'll do whatever I want with my vessel. It's my vessel. And so this is basically what happened to the nation of Israel is they started caring about the vessel and forgetting about that it's God's vessel. They started decorating their altars and doing whatever they wanted and, and making their altars nice and beautiful for God. And God says, I just want a natural stone the way I made it. Once we start putting our man-made tools and man-made items upon the altar, God doesn't recognize that anymore because there's something foreign there. That's not what I commanded. That's not what I want. That's not what I see. I see uh, spots. I see blemishes. I see wrinkles. I don't see the natural part, the natural man, the natural woman that I made. I see some doctored up version that is coming to, tr to worship me when uh, they've applied tools to the altar. And therefore, Israel did that. And therefore, Israel, God says, if you want your opinion, if you want it your way, then I'm taking my name out of here. Because it's all about my name's sake. If you stand with me. In Noah's day before the flood, Genesis 6 and 5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in all the earth. And every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I don't know if we're there yet, but we're getting close. The whole, culture, the whole culture was evil. Therefore, Noah and his family had to resist the culture of their day. They had to resist the impulses and the, and, and the fads and the, the, the fashion and all those things because they were called to be separate. 
When Noah's culture was completely evil and the evil infiltrated every thought of its citizens, that means the power and the drawl of the culture was extremely unrelenting upon Noah. As him and his family were sacrificing and separating themselves, building this, this monstrosity of a boat, there's no doubt that people from the city would come out to the work site and mock them. Bring their lunch out there on, uh, on lunch, lunch break. Go out there, hey, let's go out and, and poke fun at Noah building this thing. You imagine, oh, it was only his family in the earth that were righteous. Really, it, it says Noah. But we know Noah was on guard. He was on duty. He was protecting the righteousness. And so, therefore, he provided a covering for his family. And so if the men are not on duty, then the covering is, 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 is absent. And so Noah, being righteous, provided a covering for his family uh, because he answered the call of God and says, I'm going to do what God has called me to do. I'm going to separate myself from the world. Even if they mock me and make fun of me, even if they point fingers at me and say, I can't believe you're doing that or you look like that or you're dressed like that or you don't go here or you're withdrawing from this and this, uh, the, 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 the stronger the pull of culture becomes, the stronger that our prayers need to be. The greater the desire that the world has to decorate itself, the greater our desire needs to separate from that and say, God, let me get rid of these things in my life. I don't need to, re I don't need to reflect or resemble the world in any way. Not even the littlest thing. The closer the world gets to hell, the closer that we need to get to Jesus. The more we need to resist the culture just like Noah did and say, no, I am called out. I am a child of the Most High God. I, am a, I have this treasure in earthen vessels, uh, and I need to present my body as a living sacrifice. That means my opinions don't matter because it's a sacrifice. More we need to resist the culture like Noah did. He lived completely against the culture of his day. He lived, they called out and separated a life that was acceptable unto God. And God says, you can come out and be with me. If we think we have, ha if we have it hard today, try living for God in Noah's culture. Try putting yourself in Noah's shoes. Where you and your family are the only ones living for God. This, this didn't happen in Noah's day. This getting together, high-fiving one another and praying for you. I'm praying for you, brother. I'm praying for you, sister. I heard that struggle, your trial you're going through. I'm upholding you in prayer. I'm covering you in prayer every day. That didn't happen for Noah. It was by himself. That's why the battle for the glory of God is an individual battle. Yeah, we like the church. But it's an individual battle because you have to prove that you can live for God by yourself. If Noah did that, if Noah did that with no prayer buddies, no fasting partners, no godly fellowship, talking about what God has done for you and rejoicing with our brothers and sisters, Noah did all of that. He lived a righteous life for God. In that culture, in that toxic world, in those conditions, he did all that without the Holy Ghost. 
Without the Holy Ghost, he lived for God. We had to live, we had the Holy Ghost and we struggle living for God. That means something's wrong. That means we have too many opinions. That means we are not completely submitted to God in every single part and aspect of our life. That means we, we come to God without our whole heart submitted to Him. If, he, if Noah can live for God without the Holy Ghost, how much more should you and I be able to live for God in this day? If Noah can do it, we can do it. Why? Because we have something greater than Noah had. We have the power of Almighty God living inside of us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have the glory of God resting inside of us. We have Him watching over us. We have the power of angels behind us. And we are called to maintain our separation from this world and to present our, our bodies a living sacrifice to maintain our whole holiness, maintain our modesty, uh, maintain our separation. Why? It's all for His namesake. Our opinions get us further from God because He says, I just want you as you are. I don't need any of that doctrine up. I want a natural stone presented before me. As we begin to sing tonight, I wonder if we can just close our eyes and ask God to help us. Help us, Lord, present this body as a living sacrifice. That means my opinions don't matter. What I want to do and wear doesn't matter because I am called by a higher calling. Search us, Jesus. Search our minds, our hearts, God. Forgive us, Lord. Have mercy upon us, God, if we have trespassed against your nature, against your holiness. Forgive us if we've abandoned our station and become apathetic in our, our calling to maintain our separation and holiness. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Lord, not be like Israel and forsake your name. Help us, Jesus. Oh, let's worship Him tonight. God, show us these things. Show us these strongholds. Move the scales from our eyes. And we can see the things that we do. That brings you displeasure. That you are not happy with. Because I am a temple of God.
him together one more time. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you, God. Help us, Lord, present ourselves, our bodies as a living sacrifice. Why? Because it's for your name's sake, God. It's for your glory that resides inside of us. Help us to answer the call to protect and to cover the glory in our lives and in our homes. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. It's for your name, not my name. Your opinion, God, not my opinion. Amen. This is where Israel fell. Once they fell here in their personal convictions, they easily fell in the city, in the, pub, in the public eye, and that was it. Amen. God is calling us closer to Him in these last days, and I truly believe that these are these last days. I can't imagine how much longer it's going to be. And so why in these last days would I want to put myself in any type of predicament, any type of hindrance in my life to keep the glory of God away from me? Why would I want to do that now in this day and age? If anything, we should be saying, God, break me, mold me, shape me, help me to get rid of all these things that I like, my opinions, and God, show me with your conviction, God, what you want me to do. Amen. God's going to do it. Amen. We're the people of God. We're blessed. We need to maintain that blessed status. We don't need to start switching and compromising and losing out on all that God has for us. Because he has great things and we are to be representatives of him everywhere we go. God bless you tonight. In Jesus' name, you're dismissed.